Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. In those situations where people would get like, well, I thought we settled this kind of thing, or we talked about it, I would just say, look, it's my job, actually. You hired me to bring my taste, my opinions, what I think of as authentic or culturally relevant or an iconography that will have meaning, whether that's in the casting, you know, where we talk about colorism, whether it's in what the response is as a woman, you know, and giving advice to her daughter. And mostly they were actually appreciated. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So great to have you here. I hope you're having a great new year. It's been really wonderful. I'm so, so grateful for all your emails and texts and Instagram and Twitter messages. You guys are incredible. The support is amazing and I just hope that through these interviews we can make a difference and we can work together to learn more about ourselves and to understand more about the business and hopefully it's helpful and it's inspirational and that's all I want. If you need to reach me, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter at Barry Katz or on my website at BarryKatz.com. I'm really excited about my guest today, Rachel Watanabe-Batten, a really, really interesting guest, very, very unique and different. I would say a little bit off the road of what I normally do, but there's something really, really extraordinary happening here and I wanted you to meet her and listen to her, and I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. So without further ado, let me introduce her and get some popcorn because it might be a little bit long. Rachel Watanabe-Batten is a film and television producer and founder of Contradiction and Struggle, which tells stories that reframe history and culture and connect cinema, causes, and capital. Her producing credits include the Epics docuseries By Whatever Means Necessary by director-executive producer Keith McWhorter, which received the 2021 NAACP Award for Outstanding Directing in a Documentary. 
Additional credits include the nonfiction series I Pity the Fool with Mr. T for Lionsgate, barbershop documentary Cutting Edge for HBO, and the sports docuseries Insider Training for Discovery. Her directing producing credits reflect her wide range of interests like the documentary Crisis in the Crib, Saving Our Nation's Babies, Blueprint Lifestyle Makeover series for Martha Stewart Living's Omni Media, and her debut narrative film, Once You're In, which she co-directed. Her first jobs in film were as a temp development assistant working with Danny Glover's production company, and she was also a story researcher for Quincy Jones Entertainment. But her breakthrough job was working in creative development for veteran producers Paula Weinstein, Mark Rosenberg, Peter Heller, and Julie Bergman at Spring Creek Productions on the Warner Brothers lot. She then assisted acclaimed Australian film director Peter Weir on Fearless, starring Jeff Bridges, and worked at Propaganda Films. During the heyday of music videos in the late 90s, she co-founded the New York-based production company Department of Film with director Nick Quested at Goldcrest Post. Additionally, she produced content for leading recording artists including Diddy, DMX, Faith Evans, Fat Joe, Lil Jean, Naz, Trick Daddy, Usher, and the Wu-Tang Clan, while directing several top ten videos. During her tenure as chair of the board of directors of Manhattan Neighborhood Network, the nation's leading media access center, they won a Supreme Court decision which set the groundwork for banning former President Trump from Twitter. Most recently, she executive produced the critically acclaimed movie Sneakerella for Disney+, Plus, which launched last year and starred Chosen Jacobs, Lexi Underwood, and John Sally, and was nominated for 11 Emmy Awards and won four. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor. Rachel Watanabe Batten. Thank you, Barry. It's really an honor to be here. And hopefully it'll be a lot of fun talking today. Well, let's not go crazy. Let's let's kind of let's lower our expectations a little bit here. Why? Why? <laughs> I'm I'm really excited to to talk to you because there's so many themes about this movie that you executive produced that I love so much, Sneakerella. And it's it's odd because when I say Sneakerella, the first thing that goes through my mind is honestly, I get kind of bummed out when I hear something that's a formula from something else. And so my mind always goes to like, ah, you know, kind of want to see something that I've never seen before. And then the movie starts and I say to myself, hmm, I think I'm seeing something that I've never seen before, utilizing the formula of Cinderella. And I guess the first question I want to ask you, and I, I don't even know if this is what you want to be asked first, but I look at the film and I love the film, obviously nominated for 11 Emmy Awards. But I, I, I say to myself when I watched it and I loved it, please know I, I loved it. Mm -hmm. But this is a question as an executive producer. So when you see a movie that 
is utilizing the formula of a tried and true successful movie that's never failed, Cinderella. The theme of Cinderella never, ever failed. But I visualize seeing this screenplay and thinking to myself, if I'm putting on the executive producer hat, okay, I can keep it the way it is, and I know I'm going to sell it because I've got the Cinderella theme going for me, and how am I going to fail with that? Then I got the youth of our country and sneakers, which is huge. How can I fail? I'm using that formula. So I think I'm going to be able to sell that more if I do that. Or there's the philosophy with the writers and everybody involved was, hey, listen, why don't we do this exactly as it is, but let's change a few things and not make it the Cinderella story. But it's, it is the Cinderella story, but we're going to take a little thing out here, put a little thing here, whatever, and make it just an original screenplay of a theme which honestly when you watch the movie if you took out 15 minutes of it and replaced it with something else it wouldn't have the cinderella theme in it so i want to know from your business perspective your creative mind mm -hmm. did you ever think to yourself hmm i know it's going to do well I'm, i know i'm going to be able to sell it we're going to be able to do this movie but God, wouldn't this be even more spectacular if it were completely not tied to Cinderella? I think, you know, it would have been a different movie. It would have been an interesting movie as well. But I will tell you a little bit of the history and also my perspective. So maybe I'll start with my perspective. One is that I always was interested in the Cinderella movie, right? It's It's got a lot of themes going on. And I guess, you know, I had read the original Cinderella stories, you know, which are nothing like this. And, you know, class, uh, where you are in the station in your life. And, you know, as someone who is the other in my family, I think the the kind of questions that it asks us, even those that are not the other, are still really relevant because she is the person, traditionally Cinderella, that is just, she's meant to be in that station in life. Even though she has all the skills, everything within the competition, she is seen as, you know, the help, essentially. And I think for me, one of the constant fascinations is having grown up in many different communities in my life, you know, whether it's the Lower East Side of New York, which is very, very diverse uh, ethnically and has transitioned into a place, uh, you know, only pockets of which I recognize. And even, you know, in a sense, my own value as a a Blasian young woman and being called different things and figuring out who valued me. Um, I think it's something that always resonated with me. And I never thought I would could be a Disney princess, right? I mean, I, there just weren't any Black and Asian Disney princesses when I was growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, all that time. Um, but I always watched Disney movies and went to Disneyland. My mom went to Hollywood High School in Los Angeles, you know, with Chris Christopherson. And I always went there, you know, and I have these things, I think, which are 
contradictions. I'm very, you know, tough myself. I'm not very princessy, but on the other hand, I do like flashy things. You know, if you, if you ever see a photo of me, you know, at the Emmys, I think I have on like a rhinestone bustier. I, I actually like all of that, but I also call all of it into question as a, a woman um, now that I've grown up. But, you know, those sorts of ideas is what is my worth in the world? I don't think uh, it's exclusive to young girls. I think every person has this kind of dilemma, right? So I'll, I'll and um, it was interesting to me to explore that with a young black teen in New York City in Astoria, you know, the most diverse place in the world and kind of what that idea of being on the outer borough meant, you know, I've lived in the Lower East Side, I, I live in the Heights now, I've lived on the Upper West Side, you know, in the, and also in the Bronx and what that represents kind of, you know, that divide coming to the shiny city of Manhattan really where people come for dreams. And, you know, I think in my terms of my own personal attraction to it and the reason why I think the ideas are not gone is because there are still people who grow up wanting to understand that. Um, and I thought the idea of Kira King as a princess charming was something very important to see, right? Where she was the one in many ways with the power, with the access, um, and what was she gonna do with it? But she also was the last on the totem pole in her own family. And so what interests me is about how do we connect with people that we're not necessarily likely to, with the world doesn't expect us to, but we probably have more in common. I think with the Disney thing in terms of it, I was hired, I brought on, you know, by Disney. So it was already uh, a, a project they were developing had, you know, been developed by a few writers who brought the story. And my uh, partner, Jane Starts, who is the other executive producer, was really instrumental in bringing both me on, but also the idea of it being in Astoria. And, and those sorts of um, updates uh, that would make it much more interesting, right? Um, some of the characters are not at all part of a Disney thing, but are projected like Sammy, the best friend, is like a mouse character, right? Really enhanced. What would it mean if the fairy godmother were is a Latino gardener, is a fairy godfather? And in fact, these are the people in your neighborhood, right, that may um actually bring the magic is actually your community and for me that resonated tremendously and i think look these are magical stories right with fireworks going off and you know magic with a small m we like to say but i think when you're a child or an adult you're looking for those things right those moments that are galvanizing for you um for who sees you and i think that's a huge part of what, you know, is a focus of the Disney brand is, you know, sort of these coming of age stories that they do very well. And I like to do all kinds of stories, you know, some are edgier than others. But I think what the edgy part of is, you know, there is a darkness always to Cinderella. 
Um, and at a time when a pandemic was happening, right? And the choice uh, in 2020 to go make this, you know, and the themes, you know, of also of loss, uh, how you find yourself and have faith in yourself, those were the ones that were like, pow. I see people around me passing away, you know, in the heights with candles, you know, at every other building. And um, I also, my father was very ill at the time. My, my, my dad who raised me, Batten, um, and I have a couple of other fathers uh, too uh, that are wonderful, but Phil Batten was a singer and um, cut albums, was a teacher, all those things. So it really, I think for me, was just about utilizing all those skill sets of working in music, having a music video company, all that stuff that just was like, I can be of use here, you know, um, from just working with the actors. You know, it's a pleasure. I know people like that. And, and the other thing about the sort of sneaker stuff is that for me, those people were real. Um, one of my nephews, my, uh, my eldest nephew was a sneaker designer at 15. He's, you know, black. Japanese and Puerto Rican, and he designed sneakers for Ludacris, and he's now doing other clothing stuff. This is years ago. Um, another really dear friend was a designer, black designer for Diesel, and did those little sneaker shoes. You may hate them, um, but you know that I knew him when he did this, you know, decades ago, as well as another friend who was a choreographer and worked for Nike ID on the Lower East Side, and you really looked like the actor in our film. And he's like an Afro-Dominican, you know, choreographed Mariah Carey videos. And, um, and I went to high school, music and art, the year fame came out and my friends were in the movie, right? Slick Rick and Dana Dane were in my homeroom class for four years. We did dance on the tables, right? And so, um, you know, as for some people, maybe it was a stretch, but for growing up in New York City amongst creative people, artists, musicians, you know, of all kinds, uh, whether they're like, you know, conducting orchestras or, you know, beatboxing or tagging up trains that's, you know, now those things are worth, you know, priceless, <laughs> that are priceless, right? Um, but I, these are my friends, right? Um, I did music videos with Nas, so I could call him up and ask him if we could use his album. I felt like I could be of use if this movie were gonna be made in making it resonate with people. And I'm glad that it did for you. But I think it's important to see ourselves in every context. And it's, you know, the Indian, the Middle Eastern, you know, I think it's, it's important, you know, and what is a bully? All that stuff is important. I hope that, that was way a lot, a big answer, but. No, it's, it's great. Dr. Phil gave me some great advice when I interviewed him. Mm. He said uh, his father always told him, never miss an important opportunity to shut the f*** up. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what I try to do. So obviously I've been fortunate enough to executive produce a lot of things. Some things that I was brought on, mm -hmm. some things where I was there from the beginning. and. My experience is, as a producer, when I'm there from the beginning, 
less stress, less aggravation, more cooperation. When I'm brought on, okay, nice to see you. Great. I know you're here, but uh, we've been doing our thing for a little while. And uh, just, you know, just could you just, yeah, I love your opinion. Just, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, but, you know, just don't give me so many opinions. Just that's what... And I love what you suggested, but there's five of us who actually have been here for a while and we like our opinion better. Or there's these people who are hiding in the shadows in offices that are bigger than ours with corner offices and windows and suits that might be a little bit better tailored who are making decisions and telling people, no, just let her think that that's okay, but then let's go in another direction. And I know you've experienced everything in your lifetime. So right. tell me, am I wrong or am I right about that? Well, are you speaking about this film or are you speaking about my experiences in life? Because those are, you know. Well, let's talk about this film and in general in your experience. Like, Because when you take a job like this, obviously, so the audience knows. Okay, so Rachel, she normally has a quote which she has as an executive producer on a film on a television project you know, on a music video anything mm -hmm. and so they want to bring her on then they make her an offer then she negotiates back and forth she takes it and while she's getting brought on there's other people that are already on there's other people who obviously believe that if rachel says no they're going to be able to make a great film they have to believe that. They have confidence. They're artists. They have to believe that they're going to do well. But then when she's brought on, there's excitement because she has experience and she has a lot to offer. But there's also the feeling like, sort of like the husband when he's having his first child, his second child, and his third child. It's like, oh, God, I guess my time is... Uh, and my opinion has diminished a little bit here. Uh, before I got 50-50, I got a I got 100% of my wife's time. And now we have the first child. Okay, now it's 33, 33, and 30. Oh, there's a second child. Oh, okay, now it's 25, 20. Oh, there's a third child. Okay, now we're splitting. So people want to have, no matter what Rachel will tell you in this answer, People love to have their fingerprints on things. They want to know that if they're there from the beginning, that they have a voice that isn't uh, diminished. And when Rachel comes on, she might have the greatest ideas in the world, but that's another person who's coming on who has a voice, which diminishes the voices. Don't make no mistake about it. The people who were there before don't have an equal voice anymore. There's more cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> so I want you to explain right. to the audience how you handle that. And you took this job knowing, and I'm not even, I don't even know this for a fact, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because I, it has to be true. Knowing that you've been in the past when you took a job like this, explain how you go about something like this. Sure. I mean, I think whenever you're a producer for hire, right, there are challenges, but it can also be fantastic because I'm fortunate enough to work with some wonderful collaborators, to be honest. And the other thing um, is that I had done years of advocacy work, right, with other directors, producers, artists, 
with the PGA, Producers Guild of America. I chaired the diversity for a decade. So I and founded the Women's Impact Network. There were all these different things. And within all of that, there were these, in particular, um, you know, a couple of kind of research projects, let's say, um, where we would, you know, one was about money and what kinds of things made more money, particularly around women's uh, films. Uh, and the other was about culture shift and storytelling. And so, you know, I'd been involved in helping a lot of other filmmakers and doing their readings. So there were a lot of these things that I had sort of put into practice, right? So I wanted my reasons for doing the film were really that I thought it would be good people to work with. You know, the director, Liz Allen or Elizabeth um, Allen Rosenbaum, um, it's her full name. You know, her pitch was amazing. And one that I could relate to, um, both as a person who loves, you know, films, but also having done a lot of kind of music uh, videos over the years. And, you know, I also am the producer on the project who is both Black and Asian, right? I'm from that world uh, culturally in terms of sneaker culture and dancing and hip hop. And so I think one of the things is uh, Jane starts, the other executive producer, um, and I knew each other really well. We'd had a lot of these kinds of discussions. We, you know, worked on projects together that really were digging into some of the assumptions um, and we'd had difficult conversations and she'd seen me lead discussion groups with another good friend, Lydia Dean Pilcher. Um, we would talk about all these things. Uh, and actually it was the most popular thing amongst producers. And so for me, there was, it's different to put into practice and then be like an advocate for people, right? But one of the things about me is that I have um, a pretty broad spectrum of people that I am close with, right? And I have really frank conversations with my friends and colleagues. I don't really see a need not to. I'm not an iteration of somebody else, I'm just me. Right. And what 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 comes with me is somebody who is very comfortable in both very privileged society, having gone to an Ivy League college, have, you know, with people, people who are going to become heads of state and also really working class people, you know, um, and, you know, a rural city. Like I am just very comfortable because I've put myself in those positions. And honestly, don't mind being uncomfortable, right? It's part of being an other, right? Uh, and so, or it has been in my experience. And I'm, I'm also very curious about what makes people tick. So when I see people being defensive, I'm curious about why, um, what are they threatened by exactly? And, you know, I think that we luckily, uh, you know, I was the one on set. We, my Jane and I had a really great, relationship, you know, creatively talking about things. And where we didn't agree, we would really come to some kind of happy medium. I mean, I have more like flashy taste than she does sometimes, just like costumes and hair and makeup, right? I having put together all these sorts of 
music videos. And I also, you know, I wanted to make sure that the hair was represented, you know, in ways that I know um, Black women really feel empowered. It's part of, you know, uh, how often many people express themselves and particularly a billionaire um, young woman would be able to do that, right? And so we would have discussions about the time things take versus what it will mean when people see it on screen. What someone who looks like me or a brown-skinned or an Asian, whatever it is, somebody who hasn't seen themselves like that, right? And I think when I'm questioned about those things, yeah, it was challenging sometimes. People would be maybe annoyed, but in those situations where people would get like, well, I thought we settled this kind of thing, or we talked about it in those sorts of things, uh, as you point out, I would just say, look, I thought about it. I realized you and I hadn't really spoken about it. You've heard from everybody else. Um, and uh, it's my job, actually. You hired me to bring my taste, my opinions, uh, what I think um, in many ways, you know, what I think of as authentic or culturally relevant or an iconography that will have meaning, whether that's in the casting, you know, where we talk about colorism, whether it's in, um, you know, just what the response is as a woman, you know, and giving advice to her daughter. And mostly they were actually appreciated. It's only when people are exhausted that I think the challenge is more about like, oh, I thought I checked this box off. That for me, one of the really nice things about working, I don't know what it's like to work, right? For I've worked for some jerks and I've worked for some great people, right? But I think that when you're working on a film of this sort, right, that is a classic, you're also, you have a responsibility for what you're putting out. So sort of what's the message that we're sending, right? And in that sense, I was really fortunate. I think Jane and Liz and I, you know, and the writer, main writer we worked with, uh, Tamara, were fortunate to have so much support and discussion from the studio. It was never like, you must do this. I think our creative execs there are exceptional. And, you know, Lauren, Amy, and Jen, I won't say all their full names, but also our the person in the music uh, department was very collaborative. Stephen has been there for years. I'll, I'll just say Stevenson, but he, we were, we were up until the middle of the night, you know, on Zoom. And I think the other context that I should give you is that we were shooting in Toronto in the middle of a pandemic. You had two weeks, you came in, you were quarantined on Zoom calls nonstop. So from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. practically, right? Because we're also dealing with the West Coast and, you know, on the, the choreographers who are also quarantined and like using stuffed animals because they don't have dancers yet. You, I think that because if you made the decision to go or even to work on it, if you, the, the people who are, from Canada, you know, we're wearing masks and shields, talking through my, you know, bullhorn. I mean, it was not a normal situation, right? And so 
um, you couldn't go like just hang out with the actors necessarily, right? Yeah, and um, really amazing young actors, Lexi Underwood and Chosen Jacobs, um, Chosen Place L, and their families, both of their mothers were there. Like the level of sacrifice by people who some of them came with their spouses, you know, because they were going to be there for months over holiday times, you know, both uh, Canadian and American, <laughs> US Thanksgiving, you know, and, um, and then as because of, you know, just a couple of small instances that we had to shut down at times. So there was, I think, while we could never see each other's faces fully except while eating, you know, there was a bonding that was, you know, everybody knew we were making something special because, you know, it was hard. And the production designer, Elisa Suave, it was a time of like, where there's George Floyd on television. And like, you know, this is what, what do you see? You can get CNN, right? And it's like, people are demonstrating. And this is right before January 6th, you know, was sort of the end of our production. And so I think its context is everything, right? So the themes we're dealing with, while touching upon some of these things, issues of loss, particularly about his mother and who sees him and worth and being oneself, right? The, my favorite lines are, it feels good, feels good, feels good to be yourself when L at the end, you know, realizes that he's been recognized. And the other is just Sammy, why his buddy, who's just like, what's legit anyway? You know, this idea that we, you were, we were talking about when you first came to this, you know, and we're doing this work with comics and just like outrageously not even presuming that you couldn't. I mean, I think that's the best. I, I know I've made movies that I, I just didn't know I shouldn't have been able to make, right? Just because I, I really enjoyed the process as hard as it was, honestly, you know, just like checking in with people and giving them a green algae drink and some ginger, you know, whether it's the DP, Matt Sakatani Rowe, who just like amazing. We bonded over things like both of our families were at Heart Mountain, Wyoming internment camps during World War II. Like my mom was an infant um, and three weeks old and an enemy alien. You know, even though my great grandmother was in Pearl Harbor when it was being bombed, literally like watching the planes come in, you know, because she was visiting her daughter who lived in Hawaii um, right near the base. And so I think about the bonds of everybody who's committed to do this, right, whether it's the actors on the screen and what's meaningful to them, um, having real discussions about gender, you know. Just the, the great basketball player, John Sally, you know, coming and finding. And I, he and I worked together years before, but I'm a huge sports fan, huge. I grew up like watching everything, yelling at the television. Um, and, you know, he shines. He is the king in the movie. And, you know, it he really took on the role of kind of the father role, as well as Yvonne Senate Jones, who plays the mother. And those bonds, you know, they're in these buildings together for months. Just, they were 
incredible. The young actors that were there, Devin Nakoda, who's also Hapa, Japanese, by the way, and Canadian. Um, those things are, I felt a sense of responsibility toward them. You know, our stepbrothers who are like just deliciously evil. Um, I really, you know, for one of them was his first gig right out of um, Juilliard. And so I think, you know, we're responsible for how, what their experiences, especially in this sort of stuff going on in the world where, you know, sometimes things are triggering, right? And you have to be able to have space, or I did, to talk about these things. And it's something I'm actually very familiar with and comfortable with, you know, um, having a birthday party, you know, bringing cupcakes, remembering people, right? In the midst of craziness, we're empaths. Everybody in this business, creative business is here because we want to do something else. We want to leave a mark in the world and tell stories that hopefully will, you know, our families, our friends will live on way beyond us. So that's why you do a Disney movie, right? Because it's part of that iconography. And that's um, why I make movies for museums too. <laughs> so. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Let's talk about the casting, okay? Because I always find that when I'm involved in something, it's just, that's the place where it's very challenging. It's amazing to me. It's one of the most amazing things about stand-up comedy or acting. There's all these auditions, let's say, for, and you did probably Zoom auditions yeah. with the actors. And I think what's tremendously shocking when you're casting a role is how few people can even break into the top five of just who you want. It's like there's, there seems like there's hundreds of actors who have booked significant roles in their lives that for whatever reason, they just can't audition. They can't put the thing together the way you want it and you're when you're casting in my mind you're just so blown away by the fact that wait aren't there a million actors shouldn't there be competition for this like what and so you find a lot of times and I don't know if it's true of your like let's just take the lead actor L chosen and the king role John Sally okay so how many seven foot or six foot nine actors are there that are going to be able to do that, that can 
put that together and, and put the words together and get the emotion and the feeling out of it and and be malleable. Now, John isn't always malleable, but he's a powerful entity and you don't expect how good he is. And I've worked with him on pilots before. I worked with him on a pilot with Dave Chappelle. I, yeah. I, I, I did very his funny man. <laughs> I did. I did one of his deals for the best damn sports show. I'm, I'm very familiar with John, but I can guarantee the audience out there that role. They could have seen at most 50 people, you know, and they might have auditioned maybe, maybe there were five that really came down to it, but there's no one who's going to do it like him. Maybe there's a guy who's six, five, like a Bill Bellamy or a, you know, certain people that might have been in the mix, let's say, but I'm just saying it's very, very hard to find and chosen a guy who can, unless there was a, I, I can't remember if I saw him dancing in full body or not, but I believe I did. So I presume it was him dancing, but I'm sure he had a, what? yeah. So, so not only you got to find a kid who can act, you got to find a kid who can cry on command, who can be happy on command, who can be physical, who can dance, who can sing, or unless they took somebody else's voice and had them sing, but, they, did, but they didn't. Yeah. So it's like when you're casting something like this, there's no way in the world that when it came down to it, when you saw everybody's tape or Zoom, there's no way that there was more than five kids that could do that. I mean, were there as well as him? So I would just say two things. One is I came on, uh, when I came on, you know, that he was sort of in the, you know, it's sort of like looking at him and, and really one other person, you know, at, at this, and maybe we, seen tons of others you know i mean disney casting is they have the widest net right and i think it's also because they're always doing it i mean the talent teams there are the best i've ever worked with right they literally know every teen young adult who is doing this right they are on the lookout and leah daniels butler right amazing so i think with chosen, right? It's he's undeniable. It just was which like is, which is which is if you if, if you follow this podcast, my first podcast, I get made fun of all the time for this. If you're undeniable, you can't be denied. So it's like <laughs> so it's like he is undeniable. And then the thing that's fateful is his parents named him chosen. Exactly. Uh, if your name is chosen and you don't have your shit together, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know his mother ronnie is a force uh, amazing gentle force uh and you know it takes a lot right to put i i say you know the shepherding that it takes to be a parent or you know of a, a child actor it's such commitment and my hat's off i i, I always wanted to like talk and do something with the two moms, honestly, because of course the center of the story is the mother of Sneakerella. Um, and it wasn't lost on them, right? Like uh, just the, that connection from the story to who they are and chosen. He's incredible. Actually, he's 
think his first performance might be this weekend at the Peppermint Lounge. He's performing um, in L.A. And oh, the Peppermint Lounge in L.A. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank not New, no, not New York. Yeah. There's a keep, lot of stories keep, you could tell. Keep him, keep him away from that Peppermint Lounge. <laughs> yeah. He's not going there. Um, he is very committed. I mean, just the amount of rehearsal, both with the choreographers, which you know, you can only do auditions on Zoom, but, but everything else is live, right? But the, but the casting, so are you blown away by the fact that there are so few who can do the role you want when you're doing a project? Or do you find in your travels, unlike mine, that there's, oh my God, there's millions of people. I don't know who to choose from. It's like, it's like, it always seems like there's not a lot of people who can do it and they have the credits and you're wondering to yourself, what did you just get hit with a rock on the head and you lost your ability to do an audition? Like what happened here? Like what, even in stand-up comedy, I think to myself, right. if I could digress for a second, you can read something that's funny. I just saw a comic, an old set from a comedian who has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. His name is Adam Hunter. And he's always trying to be a little politically off center and he his joke was i went on a date with a model i said you god you're so beautiful she said tell me something i don't know i said okay you're smart and uh <laughs> you know or uh you know or you know or what tell me something i haven't heard before you're smart whatever it is so when you read it on a piece of paper, you can see if something's funny. Another joke he had was he said, again, these are all edgy things. He said, you know, I went on a date with a girl. I went home with her. She said, look, I'm going home with you, but nothing from the waist down. So he did a handstand. And so, <laughs> and so you, if you read this on a paper, right. you're going to laugh. Right. But for some reason, comedians have so it's so hard in the beginning to get laughs it takes them a lot of times years to right. figure out the timing and how to make it work and you honestly say to yourself and I've been in the comedy business forever you say to yourself should it take this long to be consistently funny like how why would it take this long and to this day I'm embarrassed to say I still don't even know every comedian that's ever been the lead in a sitcom that's gone to syndication mm -hmm. has done stand-up 10 years or more and then never less maybe the Wayans brothers if you could call them stand-ups at the time because they were doing both maybe they're the only ones who went to syndication that hadn't been doing it for 10 years so there's something about that and so when you're casting kids it's it's like you're casting old souls because they don't have 10 years under their belt and you're spending money millions of dollars on a film and when you start a film you're not going to recast a role and you might be able to if something doesn't work with certain scenes but in television you can just recast a role after you do the pilot and goodbye and good luck sir or ma'am and then you bring somebody else and that's how joe rogan started uh, Ray Romano was cast as the uh, guy in news radio and he was fired and Joe Rogan was uh, recast and that's how he started his acting career. So, but in films, it doesn't happen that way as often. And I thought it fascinating. And I looked at the Sammy character and maybe I'm wrong and please uh, shut me down, but I saw you 
I saw that as funny. I saw um, that I saw that as a young you. Am I wrong? Well, I that's my favorite character. I I probably saw that as well, but I, I think that's in the writing. But Devin, the actress, has similar qualities. I think one of the things about casting in any anyone, right? But particularly people who have special skills, right? Is that you're looking for people who have heart. What you're saying, like, you're not chosen is the, you know, there are many people who can sing and dance, right? Uh, and I say this, like, I think about like Irene Cara who just passed, right? And yeah, she had an incredible voice, but she also could bring you to tears in a scene and her voice had a quality. And I think that's true of young actors, right? Chosen had not been given this kind of huge opportunity to helm, but his the same qualities when you meet him as a person, like if you were just gonna be at a cocktail party, he's the kindest person I know. Um, and you know, I, I when we when we won the Emmy and I have the box, you know his mom and yes, do you want help? And he, I never carried that box, right? It was, you know, after the ceremony, it was put into the coat check, right? He and his family, um, I had on heels. There's no reason that I would be, you know, stumbling, right? I have a bad knee, all the shoulder. They didn't know any of that. Um, so I was really a big help, but the idea that I would be treated, right? Not as a mule or just like, okay, the producer got, but with the care that I also showed him when we were on set and that we continue to show one another, that's what you see in the movie, right? Lexi Underwood is an incredibly thoughtful, sophisticated young woman. They all are, this cast are incredibly sophisticated. She's bringing a lot of stuff from like little fires everywhere, right? She's like a complicated being, right? That might be more like the Kira King character. Right? Um, all those layers uh, that come to play. And Devin, who is really just a cheerleader. Like everybody needs a hype man. And she is a and cheerleader. And I'm a hype man. And she was a cheerleader, but in the beginning, it was this weird thing where, like, again, look, I, I'm clearly I'm not the demographic of this film, but, but no, you I, are because everyone is supposed to be the demographic of this film. But yes, it's my sweet spot. But like, you can see yourself in there. Sorry, but well, go I, on. I do. So, so Devin, like, in the beginning, and tell me if I missed this or not, because I was like, at first, when I see Chosen with Devin. Uh, not to spoil anything for people, because you got to see this uh, movie, but there's incredible chemistry between the both of them it seems like more than friendship mm -hmm. and then there's something that's the subtle thing and i think it was subtle like I, again please tell me if i'm wrong she says my my girlfriends and he says something like oh which one of the 10 girlfriends now mm -hmm. did i get that right or did i get that wrong that she was it was possible that she wasn't playing on his team uh, oh, you absolutely got it right. And there are, okay. it's very sorry. She didn't say 10, girl, but he's like, which one? Yeah, for sure. And but, but, uh, but, I don't but think I it mean, was a number. But yeah, but it's I, but the, I mean, but there was a, but there, I felt like it was this thing where right at that moment, yeah. I, even though I know the concept of the film, I thought to myself, hmm, this is, there's formulas that go this way where 
it's the girl that likes him and then there's another girl that he's looking towards and he realizes after a point that he's going to go back to the girl from the neighborhood you know there's those kind of movies right so a little tick in my brain was doing that and then obviously it went into the Cinderella story and she was an incredible uh cheerleader for him and everybody needs somebody like that but in turn I think he becomes a cheerleader for her but I again I just want to let you know in casting when I watched it and I had done my research on you I said holy shit is this a coincidence or is this is Sammy Rachel in which senses? Because I have a very complicated personal history. Well, it just felt like instinctually, because another thing, like I told you, there's a clairvoyance that I feel when I'm working on something or I'm doing something and it can't be quantified in a court of law. Nobody would ever believe me. So if you were to say to me, well, why do you feel that way? Right. I'd say to you, I don't know. I just felt that way when I did the research and I just saw I just was reading about you and reading about your life there was not not a lot there were tremendous similarities but there was something that just stood out to me like if there was one character that I felt was closest to you it was that now maybe I'm wrong that's why I was asking I I, I don't think you're wrong I think Sammy is the freest character in the movie she is who she wants to be and she's a great champion. She's funny. She's not afraid of looking silly. Um, she's like trying to be on time to keep things on schedule. But also, you know, she's kind of tough love in a lot of ways that uh, I could relate to. Um, you know, there's like gasa gasa, which is like a very in Japanese, like, you know, hurry, hurry, like rush, rush. Um, there were qualities about her that I could relate to this kind of also, I mean, the character, I mean, the, the actor is incredibly like you see her dressed up on the red carpet, incredibly sexy and, you know, glamorous and all that. And then, you know, I think the real idea of working with the costume designer, Rachel Grubbs, and also hair and makeup artists is like, okay, what, how do we, how would she express herself, right? This, it's also stuff I could relate to, you know, like dressing up in different things, you know, she's more, a little bit more bold about it when she puts the rainbow color in her hair, you know, when they go to, I don't know if you saw that, but when they go to the, the ball, they really are, you know, kind of the, the fairy godfather is kind of sprinkling them into these found outfits, but it's who they are, their inner sides being able to come but out. We also use the rainbow effect on the sneakers with the clairvoyance. Yeah. So yeah. it was a kind of a callback to it. I know what you're saying. You're probably saying this guy actually watches things and actually, you know, pays attention. Well, uh, it's also about the imagination, right? I'll think about, I love the animation, right? And Zach Wong is the young animator that worked with us uh, just throughout the entire process, both on, you know, actual, you know, objects and like, what would that artwork look like? Along with obviously our, our art department who were tremendous doing things like the mural that had particular words and, you know, things that would resonate, you know? So when they're in front of the wall, um, shouting, right? You also thinking about 
it's this possibility of what they can see, but also then you're hearkening back to the first time they sit, you know, in front of the wall. And that, and it was- that was, And that was, there was this effect that was done in animation where the, the sneaker yeah. laces, you know, it's just, it was so special. And I, I, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to ask you something else. This is something, again, that a lot of people don't really spend time talking about, but I think it's really would be great for the audience to understand. So a lot of times when you put a movie together, you have a test screening, something where, you know, the producers can show up or else it might be a Zoom test screen or whatever it is. And then somebody is hired to ask questions. What, what characters did they like? What didn't they like? What didn't they understand? What did they understand? And, and so I think it would be important for our audience that doesn't talk about this and doesn't know this that often. So in your film, the first test screening that you allow to just show people where you're, you know, watching reactions or, or if they had in the corner, if you're not, you're looking at the questions that they're asking. What were the things that the audience told your team indirectly? what needed to be adjusted to make it from a B or B plus or A minus to an A plus? It was interesting, right? Because it's, there were very mixed kinds of reactions about different people, right? Depending on, I guess, where you are in your own life. Sammy's character, the Devin Nakoda's character, but Sammy, the best friend, stood out as a big favorite. I think that was very, very clear. So, you know, I think part of it is like what things are in the movie. And then you're also thinking about the marketing and many other things, right? Is so when you have these test screenings and. Um, but in all fairness, think, if in yeah. all fairness, not to interrupt. I know the marketing is really obviously important to it, but what, but when you're doing a test screening, the marketing has nothing to do with anything. It's just you're, you're, the people are coming and that's the great thing about it. They don't even know. A lot of times they don't even pay attention. They just are, there they go, they get a group of people. And oh, I'm thinking about the findings for us, the information, not about what we're trying to do out there, but yeah. in terms of like which characters or, you know, um, as you might put together a trailer or something like that. Um, but I I think, you know. I understand what you're saying there. I I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm asking you like sort of like uh, right. part B to the question is like, how do you. Like, what was the biggest single problem that the audience said or the thing that they thought, you know, they just didn't understand or they wish was a certain way that you adjusted from that first screening to what went on Disney Plus? From what I recall, because I honestly, there were so many things going on, but I, I remember they wanted more clarity between the stepbrothers and the stepfather. You know, some of that kind of, kind of their badness, like, did they get their comeuppance? Like, just, I think some of it is really just like, are we being clear, you know, with what uh, the takeaway is when, you know, even at the end, when John Sally's speech is there, right? Are we being judgmental of them in a way that didn't, like, there's all these sorts of the feedback is quite nuanced, actually, on a movie like this versus, say, you know, a superhero movie or something, for example. And, you know, I think we didn't make dramatic changes, but I think a lot of it is about the length. Let's, it's, a, it's a kids and family movie. 
And, you know, I was, for surprised, me, I was, I was surprised at how long it was. Yes. And it was even longer. And there's a version of this film. It, like when we wrapped and we, uh, you know, we put the first cut, first edit that didn't get shown anywhere, but that is much longer, uh, you know, much, much, what, 10, 12 minutes, but that's a long time uh, to figure out, you know, those sort of quiet moments, you know, I'm also a fan of European films, right? Or South Korean for that matter at this point, right? But essentially where you're not on a timed schedule, right? Where you have the breathing room, there were moments that really, I think we loved. And because of the time, there are maybe some segments of songs that get cut out, right? Because you're also in a musical, you're thinking about which songs are people's favorite. And that's going to help determine some of it. And so I think, or do we have a reprise? So there were some things that might have been in their reprise that then gets cut out. So it, in our case, I think it was a bit more like, okay, we got that, we could have moved on. And that it's because you're also thinking about the emotional wave that you're taking people on the journey. So, yeah, I think most of it was interesting to us, right? Because it's like, okay, do people like my kid, you know, or not? And why? It, it's not, it, I think we, ha at that point, it's just curious, right? Like, um, we hope they love the songs that we love, right? And I don't know. I never know why. I used to go I, to those screenings and I never, I think it's a, it's so strange, right? The whole and, I, and I want to share with you what I felt. I'm just one, I'm just one homeless looking guy who's just, who just, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I was thinking as I was watching. I was thinking like, first of all, you know, it's long for a movie like this, but it, it, it didn't feel long. So that's, so I just want to share that. So but I, I did ask myself a couple of questions that probably would have made it longer and one that would have made it shorter. I didn't understand why there were two brothers and there could have been one, but then the way it was put together, even the extra brother, even his stuff probably would have only taken out probably three minutes. So that's, and it's always great to see somebody hired on their first job. There's nothing greater than that. And it's not Who are you assuming is the extra brother? That's interesting. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that an extra brother. I'm just right. saying, could there be one instead of right. two? Uh, but then again, the scenes for, you know, the brothers were together, except for one thing here and one thing there that were a little. But what I thought was really interesting, and, and maybe I missed it, or maybe I wasn't. I thought there'd be more with the mother, you know, the mother who was no longer with us. And I thought there'd be more, more flashback, more tying to that. It really, I don't think it was really fully explained as to, you know. It's all in that song. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you don't really pay attention to every word of the song, you don't really, I mean, who am I to say something that's nominated for an 11 Emmys and wins four and I've been nominated for one Emmy and one none. So I have as many Emmys as a dead guy. So, uh, but I just thought that that mother character, I was hoping to see more of and more of the influence on his life and what was going on. And I didn't, I, I thought that that, I don't know if there was more of that before or not, but that's the only thing I was thinking. So there is, well, there was one more song, you know, I think there was more in there. I mean, I know there was, but uh, you know, a lot of the songs want to, first of all, this didn't start out originally as a musical. 
And so a lot of the musical scenes, the music and the decision about song is combining, right? Um, I think uh, Tamara did such a beautiful job combining a lot of the dialogue and, and making it, you know, more succinct, right? That's what music musicals can do and the feeling that you get. And I think, you know, as also someone who used to produce and, and sometimes direct music videos, that scene for In Your Shoes, you know, which was nominated, that song actually, for an Emmy, um, was my favorite song. And um, we used to, as my, the hairdresser, Rookie Styles and I would be on set just tearing up. We were like, this is the banger, this is the banger, because we needed it, right? We both, you know, had people who are passing, you know, it's, the role, the woman who plays the mother brought us to tears in her audition. And she was with the little boy who ended up, you know, being playing the young Al. And it was the first time I will just say, because, you know, there's also about loss and, you know, she has cancer is really story. It's very succinctly told. And how do you do it? through the hair, right? So first of all, I'll say it was the first time she would ever ask to wear her hair natural in her career as an actress, which also was very emotional um, in the um, hair trailer when she realized that because these, she's always asked to look like someone else. And I believe she was Eritrean. And so um, it's no living in Canada. And so we would talk about like, what was she going to wear on her head when she's healthy? It's the African wrap. That's not a thing she wears when she's sick. And then like, what would convey her being ill? And, you know, Liz was, look, you know, we, I, along with our costume designer, like looking at all these different caps, what would resonate, you know, both with uh, an audience who sort of, like what a cancer pa patients look like, you know, with the sort of cap that she had. Uh, Brian Terrell Clark is also looks a bit different. It's harder. Um, and the scene was longer. And, you know, I, each time a minute was cut out, I'd be like, no, uh, it does work, you know, um, but it was too long for young audiences. And I think, Liz did an amazing job. Our sound mixers, like how to transition, you know, with both the music, but also like sound effects and the VFX. And I just have such respect for the team and also the space in that shop that Elisa Suave, our production designer, and her team put together. You would walk in there. Um, you know, that was shot on stage. And it had like the wallpaper was like a uh, kind of green, a little bit art deco, but also like a little bit uh, Latina um, influence, you know, very kind of multicultural things in the shop. And you felt safe in there. It was like a healing space. And, you know, the chaos of the, the stock room, it was all really built beautifully, right? One into the other. And so, so many of these actors are also theater actors. Um, Lexi was in The Lion King, you know, Chosen's also a performer. Um, Brian Terrell Clark played George Washington in the second run of Hamilton. I mean, these are pros, really. And, um, you know, Juan Triorian, who plays the, the very godfather been in other Disney movies. He's played really serious. So I think we were just rich with talent. I also think, by the way, the stepbrothers are some of the kids' favorite characters 
other than Devin because they're mischievous. They're, you know, in the end, yeah, they're like, they're jealous, right? They're competitive. There's, they're just thinking, they're like little narcissists thinking about this or that, but they're also very similar, you know, to the originals, right? They're, one is more clever. The other is more buffoonish. They're, they're playing off of it. You know, I mean, even they're ambiguous characters, even racially ambiguous, right? Like what's the backstory there? I mean, you know, there's so many things that if this were an episodic series, there would be tons of other things you'd put in there. And, or if we do another story, but I I think, you know, how do you tell a story with like old photos, right? The flashback of the mom, Um, the beauty that that actress could, like the longing for her, right? That you only see for a few minutes. And she is the center, the heart of this person who's missing, but is still inspiring you, um, who believed in you. um, And all the people around that knew that relationship are carrying it on. And I do feel that in life, I get that. I have had so many champions that have helped me. And when we won the Emmy, I sent an email of me dancing around, just, I didn't post on social movie, but to all the people who have um, helped me in my time, whether they let me sleep on their couch, that they used to take me out, they would get me a membership to, you know, some museum or whatever it was. So my mom, especially taking me to see musicals and plays. And I wish that my, my dad, Phil, had been around to... You know, he, I got to see every musical with him and he would talk about the history and like I would know the politics, right, of these things, whether it was Hello, Dolly, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, you know, um, South Pacific, who played these roles, what their showboat. I mean, like I really when we talk about casting, it's something that is deep within my whole upbringing and who gets to represent what goodness, like complicated things. And I really think that, you know, like the, 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 the neighbor, you know, who always calls him beta, you know, just the love that you can get. Right. Um, and um, from your neighbors, it's very real. I live in Washington Heights. Y me aparece como un Dominicana. I am married to a Dominican, but I am, Nigerian and Japanese American. Right? And so, but my neighbors are friendlier here than whenever I've lived in a tonier neighborhood. In there, I've had many friendly people, but the idea of what is happening in those neighborhoods, I think this film, even though it's like lots of fantasy and magic, there's a, a heart of it that is very true. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.